It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. But this little dink ball, the only one in the crowded area where it's a fist pass, the weight is taken over, hits the ground, and it bounces into a fella's chest. Why do you not do many interviews? Oh, really? Yeah, I wouldn't been asked to do a whole pile. Really? Yeah. Have you ever rang me? And they're roaring at me, I for you, a free state bastard. <laughs> and next thing I hear, you have no fucking jurisdiction up here. <laughs> so RT have rolled into town this weekend, lads. The TG Cahar ploughing it along the whole way through. And then the big, the big dog joins the, joins the party. And uh, for the Tipperary quarterfinals, so RT are showing club games at three o'clock on Saturday and at five o'clock. Be interesting to see how much interest it is in is in them now. Like I mean, they're not too glamorous kind of slots. The three o'clock game and five o'clock game on a Saturday for club games. Uh, first one is probably the standout game, is it? Clonaldy um, versus Turles Sarsfields. Yeah, they mightn't be the glamorous slots, Wooly, but I think they've picked a, a good place to start in Tipperary, and. Um, uh, yeah, it's Turles Sarsfields and uh, Clonolty in the first game. Like Turles Sarsfields, be to be raging hot favourites for this one. Really, um, they've romped through the group stages in in Tipperary, and like I suppose they're they're four years now without winning a county championship in Tipperary. Which for Turles, they were four in a row before that. Like that is a massive drought for them. Like and like it's not really a it's not a completely new look team or anything. Like the main men are still there. Like it's still. Ronan Maher, Paddy Maher, Pa Burke, Dennis Maher, Aidan McCormack. But they have a few new lads in. There's a P- Paddy Creedon. His son was the former, t- or his father was the former Tipperary football manager, Peter Creedon. Right. And, and leash manager. <laughs> and leash manager too. And there's a, a few other lads up from the B team, a Jack, Jack Darby and a Shawnee Butler. So um, Clonolty will be up against it. They struggled in the group stages this year. So you, you, uh, right. you would fancy Thurlis. It's Kilruan McDonough's versus Lockmore Castellani. That's the big. That's the bigger one of the day. Actually. That's the big one. Yeah, they met at the same stage last year um, in the quarterfinals, and uh, Lockmore Castellani won by by four points. And you'd probably expect the same again. Like it's Lockmore. They just there's something about them. They just always seem to get the job done whenever they're expected to like they win these sort of games and they bet killing all by 15 points last week and I suppose the man to watch out for is Liam McGrath he um he captain tipped to the All-Ireland Minor Football remember in 2011 he's yeah. back from Australia now he was there for the last year or two and right. he's been coming off the bench the last few games and like scoring points like and he's just slotted straight back in so like he's a, another huge addition to them like for a lad that was missing last year say very good that's interesting he was obviously missing for tip seniors uh, as well as that and Sunday then we have TG Cahar um, or Shonda Clare hurling quarterfinals jeez they love the hurling uh, Cratlow are playing uh, Ina Kilnamona pronounce that alright I told you this yeah. earlier it's Ina Kilnamona Ina Kilnamona <laughs> right they're showing that one um, Cratlow are out of football so they'll obviously be focusing on hurling now they haven't won since 2014 um, they haven't really built since 2014 pretty sure they made, they made the Munster Club final that year and you thought Cratlow were a common team and they haven't won, they haven't won a, a county title in Clare since then Yeah like it was similar to um, Lockmore and Tipperary they won the, they did the double like the double um, hurling football and 
Yeah, they've been they've lost two finals. I think it was twenty eighteen and twenty nineteen. Like they've been there thereabouts. But maybe that was the thing that the dual commitments was just like between the hurl and the football a step too far. So this year that they're gone out of the football early, give the likes of Podge Collins, Connor, I suppose they all play play both. Them, but yeah. but they have good players and that should be a good game as well. I don't know about Julie, but I like I mean when you see RT coming in and doing the games on Saturday, um, like I mean, do you think? A Sunday game during club season. I've always said it. Definitely during the provincial club uh, matches because I I've ma- I think they're massive. I think they're way undersold. Do you think there's an audience for a, a, like a club? You know, like we do on a Monday, a club roundup, and they could pull in some of the scores, some of the goals. You know, from because all the counties are streaming them now. That you could easily do a club roundup with one or two interesting stories from each game. You know, an hour long. And in fairness, TG Carr do one on a Monday night. It's just purely high, highlight show. No major production done in it. Maybe it might be difficult to turn around on the Sunday night. I don't know. I just feel. Do you think there's a there's a market there for it? Yeah, I definitely think there's an appetite for it for sure. Um, on a Sunday night to see. You know, especially if it's like your own club or a club near you, uh, we can't always commit to choosing which match you want to see. So highlights and just even clips of the all goal and, and a little bit of commentary to talk through what happened and what was going on. I think, you know, I think there's huge value in that, to be honest. But logistically, it might be a nightmare because each of these counties, they sort of have their own streaming services. And then to get the rights for them, you'd have to deal with all of these companies like individually. And they may, you know, one company charge a little bit more for the footage and the other one's a little bit cheaper and and you got to deal with them scramble it all together throw it together and put it out so they would have to throw a wee bit of uh weight behind the production you know to make sure that it's actually worth doing but i i definitely think it'd be worth it yeah they're not short of staff anywhere to some would say overstaffed but look i'm not going to get into all of that the leachum senior football final um is on sunday that's the 345 game i don't know why i'm interested in watching this like, it's early in the year, so we're getting to see it. You know, usually you wouldn't see the Leitrim, count, Leitrim Football County Final. Mo Hill are the reigning champions. They're looking for their fourth um, title in seven years. And they're playing Sean O'Heslins. Um, Ballinamore, um, they are. That's the name of the club. So, like, I mean, uh, it'll be interesting. It'll be at Ballinamore. Apparently, we're no hopers at the start of the year. And they're in the final kind of as a surprise. Yeah, I think we haven't seen the Leitrim County Final. I don't think it's been on in, on TG Cahar in a few years. Like, So maybe that's the... There's a kind of a novelty to it, but um, I know down in Leitrim they're expecting a real sort of a, a humdinger of a game here in this one. Um, Mo Hill are, are the fa- they're the reign of champions and they're the favourites. Like they've uh, they're meant to have a very young and fast team. And um, Keith Byrne, who's uh, one of Leitrim's main forwards, like he is the main man and just a huge sort of target man and scores all around him for Mo Hill. And um, but Ballinamore, like they've they've hammered their way through the knockout stages in Leitrim. They beat Lencar Manor Hamilton who had beaten them in the county final the last time they were in it in 2019 and they bet them well in the quarter final and then um, St Mary's they beat in the semi-final gave them a good beating as well and apparently they just have a great team spirit about them there's two McGovern's brothers that are on the Leitrim team as well and Tom Pryor is the main man up front to look out for so yeah it should be a, a good final and looking forward to it Yeah, some very impressive football knowledge from you there Niall I have to say for a hurling snob well, I was chatting to a few lads from Leitrim <laughs> last night I had <laughs> to do a bit of must have a buddy in Leitrim there or something like that someone you went to college with Austin Stacks versus Ken Mayer as we know that's the big one in the Kerry uh, final there's Mayo Championship in Mayo um, but they're still in the group so it's nothing major about that Kula versus Ballyboden that's the big one in the Dublin Senior Hurling Championship it's hurling weekend in in Dublin what went on in Tyrone uh, Lee on Monday night Tremore of course beat Dungan in 16 years since anyone's um, retained the, the the Tyrone Club Championship by far the most competitive by far the most exciting anyways based on the last two years Dungannon that was their fifth extra time in a row they obviously went four extra times last year and won it and their first game this year went to extra time you couldn't make this stuff up No I mean it's it's actually extraordinary especially from Dungannon when you consider the fact that in two years they haven't won a championship game in normal time you know it, it always <laughs> goes to extra time and then the final last year went to uh, penalties against Trillick but this game was just sensational. Like, you couldn't keep your eyes off it. It was quite like the Eden Dork and Kalailing game in that Dungannon Clarks got an early lead. Uh, Paul Donaghy and Paddy McNulty, you know, they were firing in goals and points from everywhere. And it looked like they, there actually could be a hammering on the cards here. Uh, Dramore, they just dug in deep. Um, they brought on Owen McCusker, who was sensational. I think yeah. he had five from play. And despite being like a bit of a, a veteran, I think would be the nice way of putting it for, for Dramore. He's 38, um, is he? And then, you know, 
yeah, you think so, yeah. Um, and then that, that took it, you know, till a draw and then in the extra time. And like, you would never say that being in the preliminary round is an advantage, but Dromore having overcome Marble in the preliminary round in a very tight game where they beat them by just two points, I think it was. I think, you know, like we talked last week about how in club championships in particular, you really build confidence with momentum and things. So I reckon they had that confidence just from, you know, already getting through a really nitty gritty game that was tight right to the very end. Um, the Gannon Clarks obviously did that all the last season, but that, just that having done it recently with Dromore, it, it definitely proved to be the difference. Yeah, it definitely did. Oh, McCusker, I think he's a, a cousin of Peter Canavan's. Um, so like I was mentioning, it's the 16th season. Like, you can't say enough. Like, there seems to be nothing between about eight or nine teams in Tyrone, like, I mean, which is incredibly exciting for the championship. It has to be pointed out, since 2002, when Errigal Kieran won the Ulster Club, no Tyrone team has won it. And no Tyrone team has featured in the final except for one year where Oma were beaten. So, like, I mean, while it's very obvious it's a very exciting championship, is it fair to say, like, I mean, you know, they're not threats in Ulster and the standard would be below Armagh, maybe below Derry, you know, below and other Ulster counties. Monaghan. Yeah, I'd say maybe it's like, it's more a case that all the talent is sort of split (laughs) across the clubs a little little bit more evenly than Mm. in other uh, counties and then the other thing is as well because like it's so competitive and winning the Tyrone Championship is so important and you would never underestimate that at the start of the season you would never assume that because we'd won it the year before that we're definitely going to go forward this year and win it you would just then you don't actually consider the Ulster Championship at all yeah. until you're actually in it while it's like maybe across McLean or someone you know they wouldn't go out and create about it but you know I, they'd say they'd have club championships in terms of Ulster and all Ireland's even you know in their head quite early on, maybe even Slock Neil, you know, in recent years, they'd sort of be thinking, you know, that would be a target in the back of their heads. Well, yeah. just Tyrone football in general, you know, it's the be all and end all is the championship. It's the holy grail. And you probably will need a team to win a couple of them in a row before they start to build the momentum in Ulster. Yeah, I think that's a fair point, Niall. Like, I mean, it's so competitive. The idea that any of these teams will be thinking, right, we want to win this and we want to give Ulster a good rattle. They wouldn't be thinking that. And they're probably thrown out a week or two after winning it. And maybe that's why they're not. Maybe I, I was being a little bit quick to, to kind of rubbish the Tyrone uh, championship there. Yeah, well, 2002 is, is a long time back. Like, Lee is always going to, to, to fight <laughs> for Tyrone, in fairness. like So maybe it is just a thing that they're just like they're so evenly matched and just lacking maybe a standout team like that could be the reason yeah. that there's well you see so the reason teams. yeah the reason I'm saying that is because the Leash Championship obviously was dominated for so long by Port Leash the, the Leash Championship now is really exciting like there's four or five teams that could win it Port Harlington probably the favourite so Dempsey's could win it Port Leash could win it um, you know Stradbally could even come in and you know and win it but we have no Leinster mm. Club contenders do you know what I mean yeah like and that's that probably seems to be the way up in Tyrone too like where they're just and that's why it's going from club to club every year is that there's no club maybe just strong enough and good enough to hold the dominance and then to go on and compete in Ulster. Yeah, no, exactly. A nice little story when Balahi beat Newbridge. Um, that was Monday night. What's with the, the Monday night uh, matches up in, in Ulster, uh, Lee? It's such a weird night to have a championship match. Like you wait all weekend and then it's not even on the Sunday night before you go back to work. Um, it's definitely a strange one. I don't know if you have anything to say on that. But Declan Brown, he came on as a sub. He'd buried his father during that day. And like, I mean, I saw clips of this. Balahi won the full-time whistle. Every player and every mentor on the field ran for him, which was a, I'm sure it was a nice <coughs> moment for him. Yeah, I mean, a really touching moment. And like, um, you know, just, just the, the better parts of the GAA, really, and that sort of story. I mean, the courage that he would have, had to take and you know to to come on that day and to try to think about something as, as as like football as unimportant as football but on the moment it seems like the most important thing ever I can only imagine what's going through his head even to show up and talk out and do the warm-up and everything especially given what he had gone through uh that morning I think in terms of Derry and, and that match I think that game was postponed I'm not entirely sure and so it had to be played on the Monday I right. don't think I was like originally the plan don't know what the case was for uh Jerome. 
Um, it, it did seem like it was scheduled on the Monday, but I certainly wasn't complaining on Monday night, you know, when there was nothing to do and I could flick it on. Yeah, well, you could have been watching the TG Car highlights like I was. They're, they're a nice uh, little thing to watch, 8 to 9 on, on the Monday night. Right, so Colin O'Donoghue, who's on the Fixtures Task uh, <laughs> Committee, has done, crunched some numbers. And look, these are projections, so we don't know, but at least he's done it and he's explained how he's done it. He has calculated that the new league championship structure could earn the GA 10 million in extra um, revenue. So that's basically 8 million could be um, generated by Central Council and 2 million across the, the provincials. Loads more games. He kind of based his numbers off Super 8's attendances and then kind of figured out what Division 1 attendances would be based off the Super 8's and then went off league attendances, average the average league attendances over the last uh, two or three years and he saw the percentage drop down in attendances you know based on the four divisions they dropped 33% or something like that so he worked back off that and he's modelled how much Croke Park can make look I'm not saying it's perfect but it's something and like I mean 10 million is not to be sniffed at so if there's any reservations about this right players want it unanimously supporters unanimously wanted. There's some dissenting voices, which is normal. They're not going to get agreement on every bloody GA member. And GAA, county boards, will have more money trickling down. And the GA are going to earn more money based on this, especially coming out, out of the two years after coming out of where they weren't making any bloody money. This is the greatest no-brainer I've ever, I have ever um, seen in my whole life. Like, I mean, it doesn't make any sense that this wouldn't be voted in. Um, you know, like, I mean, how many more people do you need to agree on this? Even Brian Fenton and the Dublin footballers are notorious for not really, you know, getting involved in this kind of thing. The usual response out of Dublin players would be, you know, I'm focusing on the football and, you know, we leave that to the people who are deciding and all that. Brian, Brian Fenton has said, um, I can't imagine the difficulty of having just two games in the championship in a season and then you're knocked out with all the preparation that goes into it. Like Brian Fenton's not going to change his season that much. He'll get the seven championship games, you know, more or less anyways. Although it will change his season in that those seven championship games are bloody do or, a lot of them are do or die. Whereas maybe only the last two are do or, you know, are do or die um, under the current uh, system. But he's come out strongly um, in favour of it. Like, I mean, it doesn't make sense. The GPA has written to, to Congress delegates to try and move this on. Now... I'm not too sure if this is the widest move or whether they've kind of gone above the remit to be contacting delegates. And I'm not sure what what kind of good it will be. So they're reporting saying that they're urging that the, the delegates, they urge the past proposal B as a vote to determine the future structure of the Senior Football Championship. They cite far-reaching consequences of the vote. Um, the GPF requested those with a vote back um, to back the league as a championship proposal. Um, the delegates vote later this month. Um, the GPSA will impact the development, growth and commitment of inter-county players and inter-county teams for years to come. Now, I'm not sure if it's a smart policy because we know the delegates vote, but they... Like if everything's going the way it should go, they're mandated by by their county board. So there's a county board meeting. So I was ringing around different counties just to find out, you know, how they're they're uh, what they're leaning towards and all of this. And the answer that I was getting was, um, you know, the the ones I spoke to, look, we're leaning, to, look, we like the look of Plan B, but we have to have a meeting on it, and we'll 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 discuss at the meeting. So suppose just contacting the delegate. You know, like, I mean, he's not supposed to vote the way he wants to vote. Would it not have been better to request an appearance at that county board meeting or request to meet each individual county board executive to explain all this to them, explain the finances to them, you know, do all that kind of thing? I'm not sure just sending a letter to the delegate, you know, delegates could go, who do they think they are? Yeah, they they came out with a statement about it and it kind of just seemed as if they wanted to be kind of seen to be doing something about it more. Yeah. more Politically, so, it's not the smartest thing to do, I don't think. I wouldn't say so, no. And um, like it, the delegates kind of, it's just, it's kind of a frightening thing when you think about it, that the delegates, I know that maybe they, they would say they wouldn't, but the fact that they can go up um, to Congress and kind of just, it's a secret ballot and they can go their own way anyway, like, and... Like I suppose the the there's so many people back in the proposal B and as you went through it there, like it kinda of just seems a real win win situation for everybody, like for players, supporters, for the GA. But I suppose you would just worry when it comes down to it, like whether the delegates maybe they go off on a solo run and kinda of, like they they they're pro, like the majority of delegates are kind of 
like men who have been there for a long time and they'd be traditionalists like maybe that's generalizing a small bit but um you, you just hope that there is a the right outcome in the end yeah the, the 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 way i think politically it would be better to send a representation from the gpa down to that county board meeting or down to meet them and <clears throat> outline how it can benefit that county not outline oh this is the best thing for players etc what are you getting from that like uh, we've talked about this on the show before Lee like Parik Duffy did when he was getting the super 8s over the line that's what works go down there tell them what's in it for you that's what they need explaining and not the delegate the actual everybody that's in that meeting or the, the main influencers in that meeting they need to know in that meeting this is a great deal for us 10 million you know like 10 million split 30 ways what you know 300,000 each or whatever you know and that's we're getting this straight into our games development I don't know I think there's a better way of doing it than sending a delegate um, a letter Lee I don't know what your take on it is uh, yeah no there definitely is I mean in terms of practically speaking like going to the county boards and, and pitching it to them individually and way it benefits that county individually rather than treating it like a mass sort of operation because you know people sort of get lost in that but like not to jump to their defence, but at least, I don't know, When every time I switch on or listen to a podcast about uh, Plan B, everyone's all for it. Whenever we talk about it and the people we bring on, they're more or less the support for it is, is huge. And it feels like every day we learn something new about it and something positive, something that makes more sense. And now like today, you know, 10 million revenue extra. And then no matter what you hear, and you hear from all the pundits, all of the, the experts, former players, the managers, the GPA from us, it's all positive and everyone wants to back it, but you hear absolutely nothing from the delegates themselves. And they're in that sort of little bubble and they're the only bubble that matters. So I do sort of see trying to be proactive to try to penetrate that bubble and yeah. try to at least like evoke a response at the very least, just a response, just to like, a, like a knock on the door, sort of like, hello, is anyone there? You know? Um, so it, it feels like a little bit more, they're, they're just fishing or really, really trying to force through something like, to get a dialogue at the very least like bottom line you know that's the best we can sort of hope for open and and get them talking and seeing what what the the thought process is there but uh ultimately no i don't think that'll work um they'll just ignore this letter by and large yeah well maybe yeah at least they're being proactive i suppose that that is a positive podge collins who was at that gpa meeting um i think he said that at that gpa press conference and he was talking about friday night games (laughs) I don't know where Podge is coming out. He obviously says, I speak for myself completely on this. I'm glad he said that because this has all been done. Like, I mean, this is nothing new. He says, I like the idea of it, but obviously it would have to be counties that are close to each other. You couldn't have a situation where lads would be missing out on work or on college. As amateur players, um, that's where we're going, or that's where it's going to be an issue. This this has been an issue before. So Leach played Carlo in a Friday night championship game. Um, it went ahead. Um the Leach players didn't want to play it because they had to take days off. And this is only in Carlo. But, like, I mean, think of the preparation for a, a championship club match. You know, like, I mean, you have to get down there. You have to get your prep done. You have to, you, you know, you have to have your head right. You know, do you need to be running around under pressure and work until five o'clock? You would need minimum half day to get off, be relaxed, get something to eat and all that kind <coughs> of preparation that goes into it, Niall. So, like, players want minimum half day off and that's with a, a neighbouring county. The GA said we're not paying compensation because that would break our amateur status rules. The GPA said the players will not play Friday night games again on their own time. And they're right. Why would a, a game between Leash and Carlo are just generating thousands in revenue and the players are paying out of their own pocket for that game? So I think supporters would love Friday night lights games. I'd love them. Sometimes I think supporters get a little bit greedy on these things and go, because I would love, after work on a Friday, go to the pub, have two or three points, go up, shout my county on in a championship <coughs> game. Oh, God, be fa- go back to the pub then after. What a night. It's not about them. Yeah, like, I think, I think everyone likes the idea of a, a Friday night game. It's kind of the Friday night lights and, like, what else would you be doing? Like, you'd only love to go to a game. Um, Maybe maybe Podge Collins is looking down the line when he'll be a, a supporter in a few years' time. But it's just um, like it's it's obviously as you said it's it's difficult even like we I don't remember the last time we even had a Friday night game as a club team like and if we did have a, a game of a as, of a Friday night like it would be tough to kind of organise yourself like you're kind of like most lads I know people are saying that there's students and teachers and but like 
they're still finishing three or four o'clock. Yeah, there's commutes long, and traffic is terrible on a Friday getting back out of Dublin or wherever they're coming from. Exactly, too. like it's a long way. It's a long way down the road, and um, like for an intercounty game, sure the preparation is kind of ramped up again. Like so, that would even be more difficult. Like so, yeah. Um, no, I just think they tried it before, and it it just seems like a bit of a non-runner. Like yeah, and even like I mean the the Monday that's why that Monday night club game between uh, Dungannon and Dromore was lousy as well. Like I mean, I don't think it's even best practice for clubs. Sometimes clubs have to do it. Because often the intercounty season has been so long, you're forced to play midweek championship games. But it's not ideal for any anybody. <clears throat> well, um, our club in County Down, actually, as a whole, uh, play football. Our, all our matches are on Friday nights. So the whole league was on a Friday night. The championship goes to the draw, where it could be on a Friday, Saturday, or a Sunday, just depending on the draw. Uh, for ourselves, it did work out that it'll be on a Friday. Um, for a club, it's it's okay. Uh, the only thing is, is that like with championship it, in down anyway, we go to like neutral venues. So they're quite often to like pitches and places you've never been to before. So you're finishing work at five, half five, and then you're rushing off, you know, GPS in your phone, trying to like lost in the back end of nowhere, trying to find some pitch yeah. that you've never been to before. And then you're worried about being late and things like that. But I would say, I mean, I do much prefer that and then having my Saturday and my Sunday to myself. And I think a lot of the boys at the club would say the same now the Monday is that's, that's a different story entirely because probably you've got work again the next morning and then the morning after that as well um, so it sort of like leaves you on a treadmill where you're just constantly always planning ahead for something um, but yeah for a county the Friday's a no-go really I mean if we at a club you know in a junior level uh, you know getting there and rushing and trying to sort out our work and stuff I mean I can't imagine what it'd be like for a county you know and the, and the level of preparation that needs to go into that. Yeah, you definitely need time off work. So I don't think that's a runner at all. It seems to be mixed, getting mixed in along with this championship structure as in this is another feature of it and that was never um, a part of that. I don't think it'll ever happen. Maybe it will, who knows. Keith Ricken has been appointed as the Cork manager. He's an an interesting fella because whenever you, everybody now listening to the show will have heard an interview from Keith Ricken. He's incredibly likeable. He's, uh, you know, sensible. A lot of the likability and the sensibility he has is surrounding the development of young lads and not pushing them and taking it easy on understanding them and all this kind of thing. And sometimes you listen to me and go, Jesus, isn't he fantastic? So some part of me makes me wonder, Niall, is he fantastic at that level? Like an understanding and a lot of the time with underage teams, flogging them is not what you want to be doing. They're under enough pressure, you know, and they're socially and, you know, in their lives and you get the best out of them, show them a bit of love. You know, will <coughs> will that approach work at senior at the county level? You know, like, I mean, it's, it's, I'll be watching with a lot of interest to see how this nice guy, very, very nice guy and, uh, you know, likeable fella gets on at a very, very cutthroat level where you've got senior inter-county players who... You know, maybe you'll tell the tea and toast story, for example. Tell us the tea and toast story, the, the Keith Ricken tea and toast story. Yeah, sure. Um, like Keith Ricken, he's, he's obviously a bit of a storyteller. Any, any interview you've heard from him, he's, um, he tells a story and has, he has you engaged. But um, this is a, so this, he told the, the Cork under 20s. Oh, well, I'll tell you, I'll, tell, I'll, I'll, set the, I'll get the start for it first. So <coughs> Cork were losing the 2019 under 20 final by nine points, just 11 minutes gone against Dublin. And their centre-back Sean Meehan at the time, who we know kept uh, David Clifford scoreless in the, in the Munster final this year, um, he ran on to the team's goalkeeper, Josh O'Keefe, and he says, tea and toast. He said, tea and toast, next ball, right? And you can explain why he said this. Yeah, well, he 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 told this um, story to the he he told them many stories to the Cork under twenties during the year, and this was a story that Keith Ricken. It was from a few years earlier. He was in um, he was in hospital and he was getting a colonoscopy, and he was saying that after the colonoscopy he was absolutely starving, like he was starving in the hospital, and he'd seen um, beside him there was. Uh, a cup of tea and a slice of toast. The toast had the works, the butter, the marmalade, the jam, the whole shebang, and he was buzzing for it. But in came the the wife and the kids, and should the kids seen the toast straight away, and they're like, "Daddy, we want we want the toast there." And should they, he let them have the toast, and so he was he was waiting in the hospital anyway. And the doctor comes in, and the doctor said to said to Keith Ricken, um, gave him a bit of bad news, said that he could have cancer, like, and. Just like, you know, like it was, it was kind of silence in the room and the doctor says, 
have you have you any questions like and so Keith Rickon says to him well is there any chance uh, I could get another slice of, slice of toast and a cup of tea and like he said on the way home then that evening the wife was like to him like why why was that the first question that was on your mind like would you not be asking like how how am I going to get rid of this thankfully he didn't have cancer in yeah. the end but um, how are you going to get rid of this what's the recovery or whatever and he just said well that was the that was the most important thing to me at that moment. And I suppose that was the point he made to the Cork under-20s, that the most important thing for you is the next thing you're going to do. And I suppose he was just, he was just delighted that the centre-back, I suppose he said he was delighted that the centre-back had listened to him and that they were focusing on that next next ball. Next ball, next ball, Mm. live in the moment and this is the most important thing. I don't know, Lee, call me cynical, call me an old bollocks if you want, but like, I don't know if those type of little anecdotes and stories will work on, uh, while while for, you know, naive 19, 20 year olds might listen to that and go, that's fantastic. (laughs) You know, do you think that approach... I don't want to just hone in on one, you know, tea and toast story. I'm just using it as an example. You think that kind of thing would work at senior inter county level? <clears throat> well, it's um, it's obviously only one aspect of his coaching, and like you say, he was the under twenty manager, so he'll have like them players coming through to the senior. Like I'll just speed up that transition a little bit more because they obviously really respect him and appreciate him, and they know what they're going to be. They know what to expect, you know, playing under him. So that helps bleed them in that little bit quicker. So that can only be a benefit. Um, In terms of senior managers and telling them analogies and stories, I don't know. I mean, like, is that is that an age thing? Is that not just down to the personality type? If, if you just uh, respond to that kind of thing, that's just the way you are. And if you don't, like, if you're an old bollocks like you, Willie, like you said. Uh, <laughs> I'm only saying it because you said I was allowed to, so I took that advantage. Um, so... Like, and then, you know, that, that'll never change, you know. Um, like, I, I'm interested, like, what, what does work? Uh, would you say, would you say you're the cynical type and you're you're the opposite of that? What what works on you? Something really practical or a hard line or? Yeah, well, I don't know. What works, what works on me is knowing your stuff, developing a very good game plan, being very hardworking, being able to answer any question any player throws to you, man managing the players. You know, I, I think you get respect by being good. And you get respect by being sound as well. And that, you can't pretend to be sound. That's you're either sound or you're not. Mm-hmm. You know, I think they're the two big things. And you develop a situation where players like you enough to go that extra mile because they know how much you're putting into it and they know how much you have them prepared, that that will make them go, Jesus, we can't lose. You know, we can't lose. I think that's what makes a good manager. I think, um, I hope Keith Ricken, like I'm not talk, saying anything against Keith Ricken. I don't know what he's like tactically. I know he's under 20 teams play good football, but mm-hmm. often... <clears throat> you know, that kind of comes naturally to them. I remember when I was underage, we played some great football. I wasn't coached. Mm. It was kind of whatever football you, ca- you, you played, you played. You're given that freedom and he's brilliant at that kind of stuff. Play your own game, you know, go out and express yourself. Whereas I think there's a little bit more at the cutthroat level of senior football than that. Maybe he has it. I'm not saying he doesn't. I'm saying I hope he does. Yeah, well, I think like, there, like he definitely... Like I suppose a lot of intercounty managers that come true, like a lot of them come from the underage. And his CV is he's won a All Ireland under twenty with Cork, and he's won a Sigerson Cup with CIT. Like so, it's obviously yeah. like he's earned his chance. I think, and I'd say everyone is kind of looking forward to because he is sort of different to your typical intercounty manager. Like I was listening to that. Um, I was looking for that tea and toast story yesterday. He told it at a national coaching conference. <laughs> And I was like, my inter- I went into the video and I was like, right, I'm just going to find this tea and toast story now and just get that in my head and see what the, what the story was. But I went to the very start of the video and I just couldn't turn it off. Like he started from the start and he had the audience in stitches, right. I'd say five times in the first 10 minutes. And I know you're like that, like that kind of thing isn't going to work, but he's just, he's just such a sort of a likable fella. And as well as that, like it's something, sometimes we do say that inter-county, is it taking a little bit... To maybe do some managers take it overboard, you know, with tactics and stuff like this. It's something different and maybe it's not an inter-county at the moment, but it'll be interesting to see if it works. Yeah, definitely. He has Colin O'Neill in there too and James Lockery, who are recently retired uh, players. So they'll be able to give him um, a little bit of coach in there, I'm sure. And Ray Keane is in there too, which is an interesting one. He is Peter Keane's brother. Um, recently, he could he could get Peter in there too because he's a free agent. Um, he managed uh, Finbars uh, to a county title in 2018. So he's well known in Cork as well. Ray Keane, not Roy Keane, Ray Keane. Um, um, is in the backroom team as well. So listen, wish uh, Keith Ricken uh, the best luck. Rory Gallagher, here's an interesting one. Uh, 
I, I never, never really understand this. So Rory Gallagher is in his last year of his contract. He's been given a new three-year term, right? You know, like you see this in the Premier League where a, a player has one year left in the contract. They give him some improved terms and they, they hold on to him for three more years. But the whole idea from the player's point of view or the manager's point of view is those improved terms. Lock me down. From a GA point of view, what's the point of this, Lee? I don't really get it. Like, I mean, end, his three years ends. You give him another three years. Why are they extending it? in the middle of the term. Is it just to show commitment to him? I'm sure Rory Gallagher knows after the year he's had, you know, things are going fairly well. I I, I don't know. I don't, I don't see, I don't really see the point. Maybe it's just the optics um, that they want this, the world to see they're tying this man down for a long time. Yeah, maybe. Um, I know like you talking about Premier League as an example and stuff. So like the reason you know, that they'll extend contracts in a way that's so important and the club committing to a manager doing that is because then if they do decide to sack that manager, the severance pay is so huge, you know, afterwards. So, like, if you've committed, oh, they, we've given um, Jurgen Klopp five years and that means, you know, he'd be fairly, fairly safe because the club would have to pay all five years worth yeah. of work, you know, if they did decide to sack him. But that's that's obviously not the case in the GAA. So, I mean... Yeah, it it loses that sort of practical value behind it, but maybe it is a gesture, a gesture of uh, support. Maybe they're sort of taking advantage of the so like the negative press around like Andy McEntee and things like that, and we're just sort of doing the opposite, being like, oh well, we're going to publicly support our manager, you know, and keep that sort of good feeling, um, and that little high that they had, you know, from such a successful league campaign and and being uh, competitive in the Ulster Championship and stuff against Donegal, it, right in the middle of this uh, dairy club season. You know, I don't know, maybe get the players thinking that he's, he's still going to be the man in charge. I want to impress him. I, I don't know. I mean, yeah. it, it is nitpicking at this stage. I mean, it, pro- it probably won't change a huge bit, but that, that could be the thinking behind it. Yeah, change nothing. Like Rory and the county board can walk out of this any time they want. There's no such thing as contracts, really. Like, I mean, unless they're under the table contracts um, that nobody can, can actually see. This is called his term, um, extended his term by three years. It means nothing. Sure, and Jack O'Connor another year on his contract. I don't think, I don't think he paid too much attention to it. <laughs> That's it. Well, there you go. That sums up uh, GA contracts, right? Um, no hassle. Um, Andy McEntee obviously survived. You mentioned him. He got uh, well. Um, he got loads of votes, 46 uh, and 27 again, something like that. And a big cheer went up um, when he survived. So I think uh, that kind of saga has come to an end now. The chairman, John Cavanagh has been, you know, fairly strong in his praise for Andy McEntee. Um, that kind of um, is forgotten about now. I was tweeting, Brendan Cummins is coming up in part two um, of the show. Just our lads still doing well for their clubs. And I was tweeting about this last Monday. And there's loads of them. Um, we mentioned some of them on Monday's show. But a fella replied back and he told me about Tony Doran. Tony Doran's a well-known name in Wexford Hurling. Even I've heard of it. Um, Doran is a very well-known name. Tony Doran won an All-Ireland club in 1989 with Buffers Alley. He was 42. Played the full game. Scored three points. Won his last Leinster club title in 92 at 45 years. I had to check all this out because I didn't believe it. You know, and here's me giving 38-year-olds, Niall, some sort of credit. Yeah, like this man, like it, Tony Dorn, as you said, is just sort of an iconic name. Like it's nearly like uh, Christy Ring and Nicky Rackard. It's yeah. just kind of, you just hear la- lads talking about how good he was. But um, yeah, like f- 40, I was listening actually to Tom Dempsey. He was on um, the podcast with Brian Carroll there and he was just saying about Tony Dorn and how he was just like a complete machine. Like I know he's a he's a farmer, like he works as a farmer and he's just just a huge man, like a full forward with hands like shovels and just lob the ball into Tony and, and he'll do the job. Like, But yeah, I was looking at the stats as well and it was like four, he played 40 games for Wexford, scored 40 goals, played 30 years for his club, played 17 years for Wexford. Like it's just... 30 years for his club. I've heard um, hands like uh, like spades. What did you say? Hands like spades. Hands you know like what, shovels. Hands like shovels. Do you know what Cheddar calls it? He had a hand like the bucket of a JCB, Cheddar. Which I thought was going another, another step. Uh, Billy Sheen has added Davino McDonald to his backroom team. We're, Billy Sheen is going down the kind of uh, Glen Ryan route. Let's try and pick, you know, hugely popular ex-players that have done a bit of coaching. Bino was in with the Leash Miners um, a couple of years ago. Bino's the, the most liked footballer maybe in the history of Leash football. So, like, I mean, um, it's brilliant 
um, from a leash point of view to have him in, involved. Everybody likes him. Bino's an absolute gent and was the most skillful player that we've ever produced. It's just good to have him in there. It's 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 good for the whole, um, <coughs> you know, the whole dynamic of it and the whole P. I don't want to just say it's a PR move. It's it is brilliant for, as a PR move because you know because of his likability and if Bino can you know show some of his tricks or talk to the lads about a little bit of uh, movement, a few dummies and a little bit of forward play along with Chris. Um, I haven't heard one negative comment about the new leash management team, which uh, which is saying a lot in a county who love kind of to give out. Fermanagh footballer Ulton Kelm has joined the Aussie Rules um, team uh, Fremantle there over, I saw in the MGM um, in Australia when I was there saw Fremantle playing they were very good they're over from Perth um, area I'm fairly sure he's he's with them next year and to be honest with you Ultim Kelm um, I've seen a bit of him um, usually when you see Fermanagh I don't know they're not they're always the most exciting games but Fremantle showed a, showed a video clip of Ulton's best moments and Jesus he's a lot more dynamic than I kind of had him down for he's a huge turn of pace he's only 21 still he was supposed to go in 2019 for trials but the COVID thing obviously I don't know what he's going to Australia for that's turned into a completely crazy bonkers country but the club highlighted that his time of 2.73 seconds for the 20 metre sprintly um, was one of the fastest times that have ever been done is this an Aussie rules thing there's no such thing as a 20 metre sprint time in GEA is there or am I just showing my age here uh, no, I don't think so. Um, I wouldn't play at a level anyway that, that would highlight that. But uh, uh, in terms of the AFL and like, Aussie rules, they, they really they put a lot of value into pace. And they put, if you look at them and their builds, they're all very, as, as much as they pack on a lot of muscle, they're all so slim. You know, they do, there's a runner's build to it. Even if you look at like Connor McKenna, so when, since he's came home, you can tell he's not bulky. You can tell he's strong, but like it's, it's, it's such an athletic build. And I think they put a lot of, a lot of value into pace and because it's such an explosive sport, you know, um, that maybe times and things like that. And all, all these trials, I think they involve a lot of like testing, like beat tests and, you know, your sprint tests and how high you can jump and things like that. It's very NBA, American football, you know, in terms of their trials and stuff like the actual, your physicality and, and what you can do even without the ball. They, they take all that, they put a lot of uh, uh, importance into that. But yeah, I mean, we're just hearing all these stories about uh, players coming back from Australia. So this is one now going the other way, which obviously disappointing from a GAA fan's point of view. But you're never going to begrudge them, you know, taking the opportunity. No, it's terrible news for Fermanagh. I think all those jump tests and all that, they're definitely in the GA. I think for some reason it's in my head. It's a 60 metre uh, sprint test that the GA focus on. Maybe I'm open to correction um, on that. Last story of the day is Andy Moran. Remember I was t- telling you about Andy Moran, lads, here the last uh the last show that he loves to ask himself questions and answer them himself well he's gone and done it again because uh, I was listening to an interview of Andy um, I'm calling him the new Brendan Rogers. the G is Brendan Rogers. if this interview is anything to go by so he did an interview with Ocean FM and in the first minute and 13 seconds that I'd listened to he, sa- he said he was chuffed who says that um, he said he wanted to move the process forward he called the job a project instead of a job it's just a job it's a tough job in my hands, not a tough project. And then, incredibly, he called the panel the playing, the playing staff. So I don't know, maybe he's been listening to too many Premier League games and just when he kind of, yeah, I don't know, you know, it starts, these are all in his subconscious from listening to them so much, must watch a lot of soccer. And then when he's interviewed, these are just coming out of him because I don't want to hear any of these. I don't want the, the, the panel to be called the playing staff ever. I never want to hear that again. It'll burn my ears. Um, so you must be listening to Brendan Rodgers and then in the next 20 seconds after the minute and 13 seconds I thought of the two of you when I was listening to this because I told those two lads and they never heard this he says will there be mistakes along the way? most certainly will there be fun doing them? there will be is it new territory for me Austin? of course it is three questions to himself three answers there you go lads so I'm I'm recommending (coughs) anyone to listen uh, to that Andy Moran interview and I'll be proved right all along there's no need for you to be a bollocks like me lads I'll I'll, I'll, I'll go out here on my own Uh, we'll leave it there and we'll come back with uh, Brendan Cummins he's up next All right, so I was tweeting on Monday about owl lads still doing it for their clubs. Um, my next guest definitely fits into that category. 46 years young, still going strong for Ballybacon Grange. It's Brendan Cummins. Welcome to the show. 
Well, honey, how's it going? Not too bad. So, like, I mean, you saved three penalties in in a shootout. That made all the headlines. What didn't make headlines is that you scored 10 points on top of that, and one of those points was from play. I know you're going to be modest here now, but uh, that's fair all going in the one game. Yeah, well, I suppose, yeah, in the in the second half of normal time, uh, they, we played Arvid Rovers, and they were they were conceding a few frees around our 65, and i come out and take the long-range frees. So... As any free taker will tell you, there are some days when no matter what we hit them, they go over the bar. And, and thankfully for me and the club on, on Saturday, that was one of those. And the one from play, I suppose, the ball came in over the top. The, there was no one really near me. So I went off in the meander of a little bit of a solo run. Then I saw a bit of space in front of me. I went for it and I just hit it as hard as I could. And to be honest with you, when I opened my eyes, it was sailing over the bar. So, look, there, there's days when it really goes far. You know that yourself in sport. And... Um, Certainly, uh, last weekend in that relegation semi-final will will go down as one of those for me. Yeah, I, I'm going to get on to you in a, in a little while about goalkeeper scoring points because I think this could be something that we'll see more of in the future um, in hurling. But like, I mean, you're 46. Like, when are you planning on on retiring? Like, it's standing in the goals for you who's used to playing outfield. Like, you could go for, for another 10 years, not a bother to you. Well, the plan, to be honest, with you, is I want to, my young fella's 13, and the, the plan is to play with him. I played with my dad back in the day so uh, I'll have to hang in there for another f- a few more years now please God but yeah it's just the, it's the the competition is what I like the the thoughts I can I still do it the, I suppose that the bar I set for myself and the standards set for myself can I keep doing them and I suppose the key for me in the way I've continued on playing is the next two or three months where I'll go back running the roads now in November, December and January and make sure my body doesn't get lazy, we'll call it. And that's when the hamstring injuries and all those things that will stop you playing long into your career. And of course, you touched on it there, I play in the goals and in hurling, so it's not that physically taxing either. So as my body is somewhere right and the hamstrings hold up, we should be okay for another while. Anyway, yeah. please God. When did you go back into the goals? Because you, you played in the forwards for the, for the club um, mostly, didn't you? No, when I played, no, I played in the goals all the time. I think when I retired out of tip in 2013, in 2014, I played out the field in that championship because I didn't want to play in the goals because I reckoned if I was going well in the goals, I'd have had a load of regrets about why did you leave tip. So I said, I'd play out the field for a year. <laughs> it worked out okay, but the reality is like I mightn't score two goals, but I certainly might stop two. And, and that's the way we kind of balance it down here. And I still come out and hit the odd free here and there as well. So I'm still trying to contribute to the to the scoreboard as best I can. But all along, I think goalkeeping, I've I've always played in the goals, the odd venture out the field, but not too long now. Right, OK, but you were free taker maybe then, I suppose. Maybe that's what I what, what I was looking at. Talk to us about yeah. Ballybacon Grange then. You're you're in the Intermediate Championship. You won a Junior Championship. You won, made a Junior Munster Final, which he which you lost. You, you have a whole load of Intermediate, South Tipperary Intermediate titles. I don't, I don't see, you didn't win a, an actual tip title. Maybe the North teams were, t- were too strong down the years. Yeah, it was. I think I've uh, 11 South Divisional titles now at this stage in Intermediate. We've gotten to two or three Intermediate finals and just beaten by a point one in particular in Upper Church. Um, that AIB had just drive everybody berserk, including myself at the time <laughs> I was finished on it as often as it was, um, talking about that game. So, um, But yeah, we, we our first ever adult championship uh, county final we won was that junior title a number of years ago. Um, and it was massive for us, really. Not only just getting out of junior hurling, but just to win that first senior county title. And you'd be talking about old lads crying in the stand and all. We had the whole nine yards that day above in Borland, so it was fantastic. But to retain our status as intermediate is was absolutely key. And, and thankfully, Saturday, that was the case. Yeah, it was the case. Like, I mean, did it ever hold you back? Like, I mean, you're, you're a south tip hurler. Um, you know, your uh, foot play a lot of played a lot of football. You know, a lot of the teams underage, I suppose, from making county panels and everything would have been, um, you know, from North Tip. Did it did it ever hold you back playing with the club you were with? Did you feel, or how did you get your break? I suppose. Well, I suppose how I, I got it was I got on under fourteen Tony Forrestal team uh, back in the day. Jim Lynch was a selector from inside in care, and and I suppose he saw something. He saw something in me, and then I was in the. The pathway, we'll call it. So when I was got to 16, sure, he was the goalie in 14. And then I got over in minor. I got I didn't play in, until, I suppose, I was 18 in minor under Father Tom Fogarty. And that went particularly well for me. So Father Tom then a couple of years later took over the senior team. So because I played well under him in, in minor, it just seemed that he was going to back me and he saw something in me. And I suppose you're right. You, you Absolutely, if you're from a smaller club, playing in the lower tier of, uh, of adult hurling, you do need a few breaks. And uh, certainly... 
I can point to three or four along my career that that gave me the opportunity to play at the highest level. And after that, then you either take it or you don't. And, and thankfully for a nice bit of it, I was able to take it. Right, because I, I was thinking maybe, obviously Babs is the other famous ex-player from, from your club. I thought maybe he might have, you know, he'd be we- obviously well got. He might say, we have a good one in our club. Maybe he might have maybe paved the way for you in some way. Yeah, well, he did actually for the senior hurling in fairness, Babs, back in November 93, he rang and gave me the, the first start on a, on the tip senior hurling panel. So, that was the game in Capaquin, played okay in that, lasted on the panel for a while, didn't go in train and just turned up for the matches. And, um, you know, that's kind of the way it was back then. Um, so, yeah, he, he did give me an opportunity at senior level as well, to be fair to him. And then Father Tom, I suppose, came in after that and he then he then uh, nailed the rest of it down for me, I suppose. Right. I'm not going to get into the Babs thing because you've talked about that plenty of times and it's in your book and it's all there. I'd, you'll probably admit at this stage that the two of you probably, you know, I, listen, I've, I could write a book on falling out with managers and there's usually one's not wrong and one's not right. There's usually a mix kind of between the two. Um, that, did it create tension in the club uh, in Ballybake and Grange? Like, did, did, did people take sides or is Babs, Babs too long gone? Uh, Babs is maybe not too long gone. It, it probably did sting the, the generation of player that would have um, coached me coming up along, I suppose, and played with Babs. But they accept it too. At the end of the day, it's the it's the manager's decision, whatever they want to do. And I know when the um, the Stars and the Rice competitions are on above in the football club, Babs came down and he was judging for those. And there was an issue in the world. And he's obviously always very, very welcome down in our parish because as a player and obviously as a manager, Tipperary, he's had brought huge success and, and certainly put Bally Bacon Grange on the map. So... There's huge respect to him for, for doing that as well, you know. Yeah, and a dual player like yourself, I suppose, that's just the South Tip thing. Yeah, it is. There's a bit of that. Now. I don't think the dual player anymore at the elite inter-county stage is a, is really a runner, to be honest with you. But certainly back then it was in Babs's time and coming near the end of mine, I suppose I did have to make that decision that the footballers had to move on without me because I couldn't give the dedication that the rest of the panel were given and, and look that's fair enough you know yourself if you're in the dressing room five nights a week and this fellow's only arriving on two and taking your place your eyebrows are raised it, it does affect morale and um, you know since I had moved away then Tip went on then again to went under Declan Brown and all the lads to, to get stronger and stronger that's just the way of the world So you scored this point um, in the relegation match and you said you soloed up the field and you saw a bit of space and we know we see Patrick Horgan and these fellas going back to the, the 45 and sticking them over pretty much at their ease now and you see in Gaelic football Niall Morgan and Rory Began and these lads all venturing out the field like do you think that's the next step for hurling where the goalkeeper will be seen as a scorer and you'll be trying to find ways to free up because you can only go six on six on a press. There's always, if the goalkeeper comes out, it's seven on six no matter what way you look at it. Is that something hurling teams could potentially work on is freeing up a goalkeeper and have goalkeepers practising shots from playing in training? Or am I, <laughs> am I crazy? I think they've already um, tried to, I've seen a bit of that in that now the back pass. So if you're under pressure, a cornerback, normally they'd hit it high up the line. Now they're looking out to the opposite wing around the 21, hoping the goalie will come out to take him out of jail. So I suppose there is a natural progression. But you remember as well in, in hurling, it only takes one to go wrong and then yeah. you're on bloopers for the rest of your life. And it's not a great look standing 35 yards in goal and the ball goes over your head into an empty net. So there is that. I know Stephen O'Keefe scored a point but on the Gaelic grounds in the championship one year at Watford when he came out the pitch and, and uh, played a 1-2 and kept going. But I, I think it would be extremely, extremely unusual at the elite level for somebody to uh, to to get the point like that, and I was probably left go a little bit further than you'd normally let a goalkeeper go. Um, and it's only I suppose when Arvid Rovers realised it was on, it was probably too late, and I was after getting the shot away before the guy came in to try to block me. Right, right, because you see at the inter county level, the goalies do come out even from puckouts. They get the short one. The minute they get the return, they're like, okay, I've gained my ten yards or whatever. I'm after getting this is being launched, and they'll get it to the edge of the box. And I'm thinking, geez, if you took another. You know, maybe five metres, that, that edge of the box could go over the bar. Yeah, it could certainly. You know, there's no doubt because if you look at the modern game, all the half-back lines want to sit between their own 65 and 45 or around the 45. So the key for a delivery of all energy, either play in front of them or you play over them to the back of them. So if you can go short to your goalkeeper, play a 1-2 and he can bomb it down to the edge of the D, the half-back line are reversing on top of their full-back line and obviously gives the forwards an advantage coming out the other way. So... There is that. There's no doubt that the game has completely evolved to retain a possession. I think back in 94 or 5, if Mick Ryan Upperchurch got the ball at corner back and hand passed it back to me or struck it 20 <laughs> yards back to me, the crowd behind me would go absolutely berserk. But nowadays, if, if a player doesn't do that, 
the growing comes because you're wasting possession and hitting it away without knowing where it's going to go. So that comes to the players being coached that bit better. It comes to them having an awareness of tactics, all that kind of stuff. And and also goalkeepers know now that they're nearly like outfield players. Nicky Quaid plays out the field for the club. Yeah. Owen Murphy plays out the field for the club. So all those lads are as comfortable 70 yards of their own goal as they are on the edge of the square, which has helped the evolution of that as well. Yeah, I think Davy Fitzgerald tried an outfield player in goals um, this year in the National League and he'd be pushing boundaries. Like, Could you see, uh, say, things, say Patrick Horgan's in, in, is going to retire and you have a situation where, you know, The Rock or one of the, Kieran Kingston comes up to him and says, give us one more year and we'll play you in the goals. You're brilliant distribution. You, you can score from serious range and you're a good fetcher. Now, he mightn't have the experience of shot stopping. I'm wondering how important would that be? Or could, could someone like Patrick Horgan give one year in the goals or would that be a good move, do you think? I'm not sure Collins would like this conversation, but I think he would. Um, <laughs> it's a hypothetical I situation. The, um, yeah, there's, there's more about to... Uh, with Patrick Horgan to go to court next year. There's no <laughs> doubt that um, he has all of the ability to do it. I've no doubt about that. The only thing is that when the ball comes over the top, the instinctive goalkeeper will judge when they have to come off the line and when not. Right. And now I think the key for any good goalkeeper is is to not go chasing the game. The game comes to you. And what I find with outfield players who don't play that often in the goals, they come out the field chasing the game. And that causes mistakes uh, and they're not as conservative as they need to be. You look risky in the goals and everyone goes, oh, my God, how do you do that? But when you look back at it and you go, well, the odds are really stacked in his favour as a goalie coming out there. Whereas an outfield player won't really be able to work out that risk and deal with it quickly enough, I think. So it is a big enough lead while in your fancy team to be lovely to have him there because he's <laughs> being balled over the bar from 100 yards. Is, is that one thing mentally, Brendan, say you're in goals and you're doing nothing, you're bored, and like there is a ball that you could comfort. Like, do you have to be very strong mentally to go, that's not the right one, even though you'd love to bloody go out and, and get involved in the game? You would, of course. And like I always found it in early days, doors and games, if a ball was going wide and there was no one around, it was great to catch it and hit it out or take a touch and get involved in the game. But certainly there, there that is, as I said earlier, the, the problem. Goalkeepers going chasing the game yeah. is, a, is a big enough issue. And that's when really, I suppose, that, that the problems come. So you're right. You have to be patient. You have to do one job at a time. Catch it first, then look at the delivery. Sometimes outfield players will have, want to have a pitcher to pitch in their head while the ball's coming in. That concentration goes under your legs and through your hands. So all those little things are, are what make up a goalkeeper. It is a really, really skilled and unique position. So while some lads will go in and give it a go in the highest pressure, more often than not, I think they'll crack and it wouldn't really work. Right, OK. One thing you were a divil at was waving wide when the ball was gone over the bar trying to tell the umpire that it was gone wide. Did it ever work for, did it ever work for you? No, I'm afraid not. No, no, <laughs> it wouldn't. And, um, the umpire would always look at you and kind of say, you're joking, because over the years you get to know what the umpire's like and first thing they'll say to you coming inside, stay inside the square, this is the first thing then, you know, and... Don't be waving it wide because I'll tell you if it's over the bar or not. Have a right old crack with him, like you know. So it's like I, I found that in the goals too. The umpires actually relaxed me because all of them were were lovely fellas. They weren't like military lads on the sideline on the post. They'd have a chat with you if you wanted to talk to them, and I always felt they actually helped to relax me. But um. Yeah, I waved a few wide, all right, that were all over the <laughs> But I suppose for an umpire in hurling especially, because I don't know how to do that job, Brendan, because it's so hard. Like, I mean, the ball's so small and it goes so high. You could put an element of doubt in, in their heads. Yeah, there's no doubt, sure. It, it's a psychological game everywhere around the pitch. I mean, how many times do we come onto a pitch doing a warm-up and you see the opposition manager or your own manager going up to the ref going, oh, best of luck today. And, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like, yeah. So it's... It is going on all over the pitch. It's just the way it is. Hurling, football, whatever sport, it's an emotional game. And anything that you think will give you an edge or get you in the good books with some of the officials, you are obviously, obviously going to going to do that. And they have their own job to do too, and they understand the way it works. So, look, that's the, the swings and roundabouts of the way the thing goes. So, so you're under 20 manager um, now. I'm sure you're delighted with that. It, I was reading some quotes from you when you retired. And even when you retired in 2013, you weren't ruling management out. Like, it's something that you've, you've always wanted to do, is it? Yeah, something I wanted to, to give a go at. And um, I've been involved with Leash and involved with Kerry over the, over the last five, six, seven years, I suppose, since I retired in 14. And um, I said, yeah, eventually I'll be able to hopefully get enough experience doing that to maybe do something. And, and the opportunity obviously came up with Tipperary. I was I was delighted to, to put my hat in the ring and, and thankfully the county board said yes. So 
yeah, I'm looking forward to now getting going in a, in a few months' time and we'll we'll see what talent we have in tip and try to develop it as best we can and um, help Colin Bonner and his senior squad whatever way we can. Well, that's the thing. Have you talked to Colin? Um, he, he was left field and you had been in the mix for that job. I think you were down as favourite at, at one point. Yeah, no, I was never going to be able to, to, to do the role. If you look at Colin Bonner's CV... I mean, it's just absolutely fantastic. I mean, I know I've said it before. My one is my banished door uh, line is probably not even a line to be honest with you. Whereas Column is is chapters on it. So he's got unbelievable experience coming into the into the role. He's got a fantastic background team behind him. There's no doubt about that. And I'm sure the players are here in Tipperary. You look at the first half of the game against Limerick last year. You look at the game against Watford down the home straight, coming from so far back, they could nearly have snatched it. So. The raw materials are certainly there for Colin and his managing team, and I'm sure he'll be he'll do everything in his power to, to get Tip back on the road again next year. He's as he's as upbeat um, as you are. You're saying I think Tipperary hurling is in a great place. You know, during the summer there's been a lot of negativity about it, and uh, you know from the outside the, the the narrative about Tipperary is that transition. Some lads need to go, young lads need to come in. This is a three year job. Colin Bonner's come in and said, Jesus, you know. I don't see it that way at all. I want to be, you know, hitting the ground running. There's great players there. And you you seem to be on that same page. Yeah, it is. I think you know kind of your own. And I suppose you're always going to obviously back your own as well. And um, I know Colin, with the experience, like I said, that he has and the continuity that Tommy Dunn and all will give within the setup, it's, uh, it should seamlessly move on to uh, his management. And he'll have his own style, different to Liam and all that. And that's exactly... You know what's needed in every in every change of management that there's fresh thoughts brought in, and Colin will bring that as well. You know, so I mean, um, yeah. So I think we're all looking forward to it in, in Tipperary next year, especially after the the great job that that Liam Sheedy had done in winning that Ireland in his his first of his three years there. So look, the raw materials you'd hope would have to be there, and um, it's just a matter of getting a few breaks along the line and and uh, in these championship matches and hoping that you can that you can win them and extend your summer. That's the thing, because I suppose a lot of talk was about retirements. That's quieting down now, really, because like Brendan Maher retired pretty quickly. You'd imagine if anyone else was going to, they would have by now. Yeah, it's hard to know. I mean, like in a, in a, in a vacuum when the manager wasn't there, uh, speculation was going every direction, you know, to be honest with you. Um, and that's always the, way it's, that's always the way it's going to be when there's no inter-county games. But in fairness to the county board, they, they did their job nice and solid, nice and quietly, and, and got the man that they wanted um, after Liam obviously had, um, had, hadn't gone for the opportunity. So, look, it is, and it's all looking forward now. And, and in fairness, in, in tip, we get going now in January next year, hopefully it'll all be, be positive. Yeah, exactly. One other thing I wanted to ask you, um, Alan Connolly's goal, I don't know if you saw it for Black Rock where he charged the goalkeeper down. We were talking about it on Monday and you see it a lot in soccer where there's a back pass to the goalkeeper, the forward followed us in and it's just a foot kind of a, a block. Alan, I'd never seen it in hurling before. I'm wondering were you ever close to getting caught like that? Well, for that point you're talking about the weekend, I'd say there was only about a half a yard between <laughs> me and the guys hurling coming in to block me down. So it could have been on for a completely different reason. But um, yeah, but again, you see a goalkeeper has got that choice then when someone's coming in, do you dummy puck it and tap it over his head and take the chance? Now, yeah. it looks right cool if it works, but if it doesn't, I'll tell you, you're obviously in some mess then. But forwards, like you said, will put pressure on the goalie now going forward. It's going to be a tactic that all managers, I think, would probably look at across all areas of the game, that the best striker of the ball, in a lot of cases, is the goalie. So why not put the most pressure on him so he has to pass it off quickly? And you're right, not giving a, this guy a free strike is going to become common practice, I think, in, in our game going forward. It, it's mad, really, how it's changed, Brendan, from when you were playing. Like, I mean, you pulled off some spectacular saves. Like, I mean, you're probably the best at it. Owen Murphy, probably the best at it now. But how much analysis, sure, you know yourself from the Sunday game, like, nearly the, the main analysis is on puckouts, you know now, and the goalkeepers and what they're doing. Like, it's incredible how the goalkeeper position has evolved and become such a, a, a massive part of it. It has. It's, look, there's no doubt. I mean, teams will have their different strategies and tactics. And I think when you have a guy who's got a free puck of the ball, um, yeah. retention of possession is absolutely key. So if you can make it 70-30, you'll never make it 100% unless you're flicking it to the corner back and that can be fraught with danger, obviously, and you're running up the pitch as well. But if you're hitting the ball any more than 70, 80 yards, if you can get it 70, 30, that's a massive win and a huge advantage. So that movement off the ball, the high behind cameras, the tactics and all the signals, all that kind of stuff is is all now game. And you're right, like, I mean, players have an awful lot of information to take on board and to remember in the heat. You or me, it was for me, it was nearly a puck fodder competition back in the 90s and into the 2000s. Close your eyes and let it off. 
Whereas as it evolved with Eamon O'Shea, I had to remember where the ball was supposed to go. So there is, and, and I credit to the players, the current players, like they take all that on board seamlessly, to be fair. There's never an issue with any goalkeeper I've been dealing with to say, this is what we're trying to do. Okay, I remember that. And they just go out and execute it. So credit to them and that they're, they're learning the game all the time and there's more stuff coming at them. It, it nearly has had a knock-on effect on the whole way hurling has is being played because years ago when you'd puck it long a forward is waiting for a break off someone and they get a lot of their scores just you know cutting across and the ball had popped to them and it's over the bar now because when it goes short the movement in there has completely changed because you don't get your points those handy knockdowns anymore you have to actually win the ball out in front like goalkeepers have actually the, the puck outs changing has pretty much changed the game of hurling it has, you know, and I think also as well, you have the stats guys and all who are trying to get you for um, uh, retained possession stats and all that. So yeah. the last thing you want to think is a player going in at half time and you've had seven touches of the ball and you've given it away six times. And someone will tell you that four points came from that or something. That's the last conversation you want. So they've gone safer in the way they deliver the ball. But then the guy receiving the ball has become more dynamic, I suppose, in that they know they're not going to get the pass unless they make the perfect right run. Yeah. So the game has turned into a more of a game of movement. You know, I don't know, it's a handball they have where you can't run when you have the ball in your hand, but everyone else is moving around you. And uh, netball, sorry. And that's, you know, it's, it's a little bit similar to that. The movement off the ball is crazy now the way they're going and the fitness levels are absolutely through the roof. The runs, I see Aaron Galland, the Aaron final, he makes 15 or 20 runs a half only get on the ball maybe three times, but he's running to make space for others. He's trying to get on the ball himself. So all that stuff and is, is playing into the strength and condition and fitness these lads are putting in as well off the pitch. Yeah, it's fantastic. There, before I let you go, not many people listening will know you were a huge mentor to me in my earlier career as you gave me lifts up to Dublin for those compromise rules trials. <laughs> I wish... We did, actually. Yeah, we did, yeah. When, uh, when you were running fitness tests about there in that, that hotel. I think you made the cut that time, did you? I got the heave-o. I made the cut, yeah. Yeah, I made the cut. I don't, I don't like to brag about that, though, Brendan. I'm very quiet about making yeah, well, that cut. All I'm thinking is that if I didn't give you a lift up, they've had one more forward slot and I could have got in my ruthless streak today with a left chin port leash. But anyway, look, the sportsman in me brought you up. <laughs> Brendan, thanks very much. I appreciate you taking the call. No problem at all. Yeah, great stuff from Brendan Cummins there. I'd forgotten I made the panel and he didn't, so I shouldn't probably shouldn't have been insensitive and uh, and bring that up. Anyways, listen, that's always time for... We will be back on Monday. We'll do our club roundup as usual. We might talk to somebody from the weekend as well. We'll talk to you all then. Good luck. No such thing as a media ban. We don't have a media ban. Ah, you do? No, we don't. A donkey eat eating. A donkey eat a pallet. There's nothing else to eat. He was massive. <laughs> Legs, ass, filth. But I burst out laughing. <laughs> <laughs>